If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. And welcome from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. I'm Sean Emerson, a Mayflower member, and also currently a student at Duke Divinity School. And I will obviously be your worship leader today. Lori's taking a much needed vacation and will return to us in the next week or so. Also this morning, we are delighted to welcome to Mayflower Reverend Dr. Leslie Long a professor of religious education at Oklahoma City University School of Religion. Will you pray with me? Holy One, we come here today in the words of poet William Wadsworth in that the world is too much with us. As if it weren't bad enough, we're connected to a global network that constantly flings images of calamity from all over the world, 24-7. Ukraine, Israel, Buffalo, our domestic political climate, and now the threat to women's reproductive rights. All these weigh heavily on our minds. And if we're honest, what we really want to say is, God, are you still there? Can you see this? People are dying. I get it. Your ways are not our ways. So Lord, we ask you, teach us how to make meaning where there is none, and teach us how to be your church and your people in the midst of this precarious moment. Amen. It is good to be with you today, and I bring greetings from Oklahoma City University. Let us hear these words from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 23 through 29. Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. 
Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs so that when it does occur, you may believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Dear God, we come before you today to hear your word for our lives. And we know that in the midst of all that happens, sometimes it's hard to know what word that is. But Lord, as we come before you today, we just ask that your spirit be upon us and be upon me as I bring forth these words, that what I do and say may be pleasing to you in every way. It's in thy holy name that we pray. Amen. So maybe you grew up in a church like this, but when I was a little child, a lot of folks had that version of the Bible that has the red letters in it. You know that one? The one that shows me exactly what Jesus said and did in the King James Version, right? So that I will know what it says. Now, I don't know if you know the history of the red letter edition of the Bible, but it actually was printed in 1899 uh, by Louis Kloschp, and he decided that he would make the letters red based on a scripture from Luke 22, verse 20, that reads in the King James Version, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which I shed for you. The red was to remind the readers that Jesus shed his blood for them. Now we're gonna move forward to 1985. In 1985, a group of religious scholars came together and they were named the Jesus Seminar. You may or may not have heard of these folks, but they were the top scholars that looked at the historical background of the Bible and looked at it with a critical eye. These scholars would come together twice a year because they wanted to figure out what the real words and deeds of Jesus were in the Bible. So the scholars would read these papers and then they would come together and they would debate what they thought was true of Jesus' words and deeds and what was not. I would have loved to have heard those debates. At the end of each debate, they had four beads which they voted with. So if they believed after the end of the debate 
that it was most likely authentic to Jesus, his words and his deeds, they would put a red bead in. If they thought that it was somewhat likely to be Jesus's words and deeds, they'd put a pink bead in. If they thought, thought it was somewhat unlikely, they'd put a gray bead in and a black if they thought it was unlikely to be authentic. Now, their voting didn't determine the truth. It only indicated their best judgment. But their conclusions came out to find this. They decided that about 18% of what is attributed to Jesus is really his words, and only about 16% of what is attributed to Jesus indeed is really his. Now you can imagine that this brought on a lot of controversy. Lots of folks came after those that were part of the Jesus seminar. But their argument was this. They said that what Jesus said that went against the mainstream was probably most likely his sayings. Things like, turn the other cheek, or love your enemy. Stories like, the good Samaritan. Those were probably, authentically, Jesus's words and deeds. You know, through the ages, people have come to the scriptures trying to figure out what Jesus says and how they are supposed to act. And you know, as Christians, that's one of our jobs. We're supposed to be reading this book, right? And studying it and trying to figure out what is Jesus calling us to do out in the world? Now, the problem is, during Jesus's time, no one was writing down what he was saying right now that's very different than today but even paul whose letters are known to be the first writings in the new testament weren't written until the 50s 50 ce which was 20 years after jesus's death and paul didn't really write to tell us about the historical jesus he wrote to tell us and interpret who he thought Jesus was and what Jesus was saying. The first gospel that we have, Mark, wasn't written until nearly 40 years after Jesus had died. 40 years before the first gospel was written down. Now, today we would have things like a TikTok video or Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, I can just imagine Jesus on that red dot doing his TED talk for us, right? And if that were the case, we would know exactly what Jesus said and what his actions were. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Now, if you're a biblical literalist, you would say there is no debate. If the Bible says it, we believe it. But even with that, there's problems because there's still room for interpretation, which can often cloud Jesus's intent. 
You know, in one of my courses at Oklahoma City University, I teach a general education class, and students can either take a world religion class or a Bible and culture class, and I teach Bible and culture. And one of the first things I do in that course during the first week is we talk about the lenses and the baggage that we bring to the Bible. Now, it's just who we are. We can't help it. And I share with them, you know, I come from a America, right? From North America, from the United States. I'm from a middle-class home. I'm a woman. I'm a feminist. I grew up Methodist. I'm a cradle Methodist who was in church every week unless I was sick or dead. Um, and all those things feed into how I look at the Bible. Right? We all bring lenses to scripture. I then have the students read a paragraph written about a literal interpretation of scripture and another one about what it means if the Bible was just a human book. And then we break up into groups and they talk to each other about their own lenses and baggage that they bring to the scriptures and they talk about those paragraphs and then I go up to the whiteboard and I put a giant line across it and I put literal interpretation over here and human book over here and I have every student in my class come up and put an X on that line someplace on the continuum of where they see themselves and how they look at the Bible. Now, I'll be honest, a lot of times, most of those are right in the middle. But I always have folks who are on both edges as well. Folks who see the Bible very literally or see it as a nice book written by humans that might have something to say to them, but they don't really take it for much, right? But most folks are someplace in the middle. And I think it's important for us to realize where we are and how we look at Scripture. Because we all come to it in different ways. Which really makes the Scripture we heard today more complicated than it sounds at first. I'm going to reread verse 23 and 24 and listen once again. Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. The challenge is how do we know what to do and how to act? Well, first we've got to read the Gospels, and we need to study them. I think one of the tragedies of Christianity is that too many Christians don't even read the book that they lay their faith upon. And the unfortunate thing is that if you don't read it, then somebody is always interpreting it for you. Now, I'm going to be honest. I try really hard as a Bible scholar to interpret the Bible in ways that I think are authentic, but you already heard the lenses I come to the Bible with, right? 
So all of us come to scripture seeing it from some angle. And so we've got to have those hard discussions and talk about what is there. So you may be going, well, okay, that's great, that's fine, but how do I do that? I think there's some really good funnels in scripture that help us kind of look at it all in a big picture. The one I use the most often to start with is what Jesus says when he breaks all the commandments down into the greatest commandment. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke. And Jesus is asked, which commandment is the first of all? And Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You know, what we act upon, what we believe matters because Christianity is based on both beliefs and actions. When I listen to young people and others that have turned away from the church, I am reminded of the harm that we have done with this book. By not really calling out those places that are being manipulated into hating others. Here's the thing, Jesus talks about loving others, not hating others. Jesus talks about caring for others, not turning away from others. In an online article in Sojourners magazine, it's titled American Christianity Has Failed by Stephen Matson. he writes it this way, while the gospel instructs followers of Christ to help the poor, oppressed, maligned, mistreated, sick, and those most in need of help, Christians in America have largely supported measures that have rejected refugees, refused aid to immigrants, cut social services to the poor, diminished help for the sick, fueled xenophobia, reinforced misogyny, ignored racism, stoked hatred, reinforced corruption, and largely increased inequity, prejudice, and fear. If Christians refuse to help and actually use their political advocacy and opinion to further hurt refugees, immigrants, women, foreigners, minorities, the poor, the oppressed, the persecuted, the sick, the LGBTQ community, and aren't abiding by the golden rule of loving their neighbor as themselves, then who exactly are Christians supposedly loving? What benefit are Christians providing their communities? And what good are they contributing to the world around them? Because in America, it appears that the sole purpose of Christianity is to selfishly protect people's own self-interest instead of sacrificially serving others. 
We also know that white nationalism has been tied to Christianity. And according to a statement by Christians Against Christian Nationalism, this movement seeks to merge Christian and American identities, distorting both the Christian faith and America's constitutional democracy. Christian nationalism demands Christianity be privileged by the state and implies that to be a good American, one must be Christian. It often overlaps and provides cover for white supremacy and racial subjugation. I want to say that we have to reclaim the core of Christian beliefs and Christian teachings, the things that Jesus really taught to love God and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And I think the second part of that love the neighbor part is probably the most important because I can say I love my neighbor, but to say I love my neighbor as I love myself takes it to a different place because now I've got to look at that neighbor and see them. I've got to look at that neighbor and get to know them. And I'll be honest, there's some neighbors I don't really like getting to know sometimes. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? But here's the thing, if we don't speak truth about what Jesus says and does, other people will speak it for us. And too many people have manipulated the words of Jesus out in the world. And you know, it's unfortunate, but it's true. When people look at Christians from the outside, they lump us all together. They don't know that you all think this way and the church down the street thinks that way. You're Christian. We must all think the same. So we've got to ask, if a Christian is using the Bible in a self-serving way that hurts others, we've got to question it. If we see Christianity as a way to be blessed with monetary gain, we need to question it. If Christianity is more about the building and not what we do outside the church, we need to question it. If your Christianity is more about being entertained than serving to your, your neighbor, we need to question it. You get the idea. Following the way Jesus calls us means that we work in the community to share the love of Christ there in ways that pursue justice and mercy. And we do that because of our faith. I'm going to challenge you to read this and study it and dig into it. And it doesn't mean that you all have to agree about it. But what do you read? What do you see it says to you as you live out your faith? How is Jesus revealed to you? You know, there was an article I read this week that asked a really important question. How does Jesus reveal himself in the world? 
And the answer was, through us. Hear that again. How does Jesus reveal himself to the world? Through you. So the question we need to ask ourselves is what picture are we painting of what it means to follow Christ? What words are we sharing that make a difference for others? And how is Christ's love being lived through each of us here? It's in the name of God, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Rev. Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.